Good morning. So how many of you, all two of you, have a nativity set at your house with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus? Do you have one of those, Ian? Okay. Do you have you have one at home with baby Jesus in it? Well, this is the baby Jesus for my set. Is your nativity set still up? Hasn't been put, has yours been put away already? Okay, mine's probably going sometime this week. So Christmas is over. We take down the trees and we put baby Jesus, maybe wrap him in paper and put him in a box and put him in the garage and forget about him, right? Till Thanksgiving next year. Yeah, sometimes we lead our lives like we've put Jesus in a box and forgotten about him. Sometimes we kind of like to do our own thing. So we might, um, we might cheat when we're playing a game or we might tell a little lie or we might use some bad words. We kind of forget about Jesus. We've put Jesus away in a box and we don't want to think about him and we want to live our life the way we do. So we need to remember that even though we've put our little ceramic Jesus away in a box, we want to keep the real Jesus with us all the time and try to live the life that he wants us to live. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we know that sometimes we kind of forget about you and do our own thing. And when we do, pull us back to you. Help us to remember that you're always there with us, even if we can't see you. And keep us from putting you in a box and forgetting about you. Amen. comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. The words of the Lord. 
for the people of the Lord. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I've moved 21 times in my life. I I counted it up this week and it was 21 times. That means 21 times I have had to pack up everything that I own move it via my own arms and legs or a vehicle or a moving truck and then unpack everything in another location and try to make that new location feel like home. So here are a few of the places that I've lived. Uh, On the top left, you have Arlington. That's my hometown. My parents still live there and my brother. Uh, In the middle and the top, that's Oxford, England. I studied abroad in England, lived there for a few months. That's actually the house that I lived in on the right. Uh, That right side is a duplex. I think there were 22 of us living in there. On the other side was a South African millionaire. So it's an interesting neighborhood. Uh, Top right, that's Evanston, Illinois. That's uh, when I went to seminary in Evanston in Chicago area. Below that, Millbank, lived there for three years. Any of you have been there? Bottom right is Gordon Conwell. That's out by Boston. Lived there for two years. Lake Ponset Camp. I lived there every summer through college. University of Sioux Falls. That's where I went to college. That is my actual dorm room picture from my senior year. You can see my guitar case. If you go in my office, it's the same one. Uh, and then Mitchell in the bottom left corner. I like to look at that picture and remember how clean my house used to be when I lived by myself. I'm like, oh, so nice. Uh, And then finally, Beersford. And I've actually lived here three and a half years now. This is the longest I've lived anywhere since I moved out of my house when I was 18. And so this kind of feels like home to me, not only because I've lived here so long now, which for some of you is like, that's not that long, (laughs) but it's also where I started my family. This is my first home with my husband and my children. And so it's kind of, it's a nice place. I like it. So my, how many of you have moved around a lot? Have any of you other, has anybody beat my 21 if you think through it? Yeah, I had a feeling that you two might have, might have been close if, if not exceeded it. Um, how many of you have basically lived in the same place your whole life? Either just the same town or even the same house or farm? Yeah. There's something really nice about that, too, though, isn't there? There's a rootedness to that. One of the things that really struck me today about the scripture was how often uh, the Holy Family moved in Jesus' early life. There's a lot happening in this scripture. This is what's happening after the Magi have come to visit Jesus. So we're a little out of order because next week we'll celebrate the Magi coming. But this is what happens immediately following. Remember, the Magi went to talk to Herod to try to find out where the baby was. And then they were told, don't go back via Herod because Herod doesn't have good intentions. And so they left. They left the house. Herod realizes they have left without coming back to him. He's not happy. So an angel comes and says, you need to leave. You need to get out of here. You need to go to Egypt. So the first move, all of the moves you'll notice actually come by God's command. Joseph is getting these visits by angels saying, you need to go. And so they first go 
to Egypt. Why Egypt? I have to admit that in my mind, when I think of Egypt, I think of this like really foreign, exotic place with the pyramids. And it's like, why would someone choose to go there? It seems far away. But in fact, in the time of Jesus, uh, Egypt came up north far enough and Israel came down that there's actually a part where they touch. And so Egypt uh, is a nearby country for them. It is out of the rule of Herod. And in fact, we know that there were a large number of Jews that had escaped to Egypt um, for political reasons. And so there was already a large community of Israelites in Egypt that Joseph and Mary would have had a safe place to go. So it was close by, out of Herod's control, and there were people there that they could possibly have known. Now, when you think of Egypt in the Bible... Do you typically think of it as a safe place for God's people? I don't know about you, but when I think of Egypt in the Bible, I think of Moses, you know, telling the Pharaoh, let my people go, and them having to escape Egypt to get to the promised land. Egypt has this really complicated history with God's people. So actually, we start off going all the way back to Joseph. Remember his brothers back in Genesis They don't like Joseph, and so they sell him off, and he gets uh, bought as a slave and ends up in Egypt, ends up in jail in Egypt, and rises up through that process to become the second in command over all of Egypt. And because of that, he brings his family to Egypt to save them from the droughts. Does this sound familiar to you, the story? So this is our first first time that we see Egypt being a place of of safe place for Israelites is with Joseph really prior to kind of Israelites being a thing at this point, it's just the family. But then remember they've lived there now for a few hundred years and the Pharaoh has forgotten Joseph and they get enslaved. And then that's when Moses has to come in and rescue them all out of Egypt again. And that's, that's a big narrative in the story of the Israelites. But now we see by Jesus day, Egypt has become once again, a safe place, and people are actually fleeing the promised land to go back to Egypt, where it is now safe for them. I just find that fascinating. Egypt kind of has this really uh, complicated, it's not all good or bad. Egypt is, it, it changes throughout the course of history. But part of the reason that Jesus goes to Egypt is because it's part of a prophecy. Why would Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt? Well, they're fleeing for their lives. They were in danger. But why Egypt? That's because that's where God wanted them to go. The prophet Hosea spoke of the Messiah and had this to say. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You see, in the Old Testament, we have all of these prophecies about the Messiah. And part of the reason was, is because many people would claim that they were the Messiah. So then all of the Israelites would go back to these prophecies and say, well, did you fulfill these things? And if you didn't, then you're not the Messiah. And one of the prophecies was, out of Egypt, I called my son. You see, going to Egypt wasn't Mary and Joseph's plan. It wasn't what they had planned to do. They were escaping a political threat. But it was God's plan. It was God's plan that they would go there and that out of Egypt, Jesus would be called. So later in his life, when Jesus was revealed to be the Messiah, this prophecy now makes sense. 
So then they're in Egypt. Joseph gets another dream and says that King Herod has died. All of the people that tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby have died. It's time for you to return. So they're not going to stay in Egypt and live their life there. They're going back to Israel. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they come back to Judea. And Judea is that orange part. So Egypt is further south. So they start going through Judea. Uh, But then they hear that Herod's son is now the ruler instead of Herod. And Joseph gets yet another warning, angelic warning, saying, you're not going to stay here. You see, they had left Bethlehem. They had left Judea to go to Egypt. That's where they'd been the last two years. But now it's not safe for them still, so they're going to keep going north. And they're going to actually go until they get to Galilee, which is where Mary and Joseph were from. If we look back... uh, from into the scripture ahead of time uh, of Jesus when when we find out that Mary's going to have a baby it actually says that they go to a woman and a man in Galilee in Nazareth and so now they're traveling back further north through Judea through Samaria all the way up to that pink area to Galilee to Nazareth and that's where they're going to settle so when they returned from Egypt they went back to the place where they started I want to talk a little bit about Nazareth. Does anyone know anything about Nazareth other than that's where Jesus is from? All right, good. I'm glad. I'm glad I can share some new information. Nazareth is not a thriving metropolis by any sense of the word. We would actually consider it a small town as well. It only had between 200 and 500 people living there. This is a small town. This is a village. Actually, it was near the capital of Galilee, uh, and it was near a trade route, so it wasn't in the middle of nowhere. Like, it was on the way to things, but it wasn't a destination in and of itself. In fact, it was so small that a lot of the other uh, documents we have around that time about villages in Galilee don't even mention Nazareth because it's that insignificant. My hometown of Arlington actually was left off the map one year. Did you guys know this? Uh And so Arlington celebrates every summer Appreciation Days, uh, which started from the state giving us some money saying, sorry, we like you. So I know what it's like to be from a town that people don't appreciate and forgot to even put on the map. Uh, And it is in Nazareth, in this tiny village, this insignificant place where Jesus is raised. It's where Mary and Joseph are from and where Jesus is from. He's referred to in various gospel accounts as Jesus of Nazareth. This is only a a handful of the verses that refer to him this way. The sign that was placed above his head when he was crucified said Jesus of Nazareth. And the very early Christians were sometimes known as being a part of that Nazarene sect. Again, referencing Jesus' hometown. So in the first few years of his life, Jesus was born in Bethlehem escaped to Egypt, and then ended up settling in Galilee in a little town called Nazareth. How does any of this matter? I'm sure you're probably wondering, well, this is fascinating, Katie, but what's the point, right? Well, it matters. First, as I mentioned earlier, all of these locations are part of the prophecy about the Messiah. From the prophet Micah, we hear, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So it is important that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because the prophet said that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. But then from Hosea, we learn that the Messiah will also come out of Egypt. And so it was important that they went to Egypt. It was necessary, in fact. And then in today's passage, we learn of another prophecy that says he will be called a Nazarene. But I'll admit that this one's a little bit harder to pin down because there's actually no prophecy in the Old Testament that says anything like this. And Matthew doesn't tell us where he's getting this from. Uh, In fact, most of the Israelites were looking for someone born in Bethlehem or someone from Bethlehem to be the Messiah. Uh, And so we're not really sure where this comes from. It could be that there was a prophecy kind of circulating that uh, the Messiah would be a Nazarene. But I kind of doubt it because I think if that were the case, people would have been more accepting of the fact that Jesus was from Nazareth, but that's not the image we get from scripture. Uh, in John 1:46, someone says, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that's not, that's not a good start. Uh, John 7:41, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? And John 7:52, are you from Galilee too? I love this one because this person's confident. Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Do you think that people from Galilee and from Nazareth uh, are held in high esteem? No. No. If you are from Galilee or from Nazareth, you are basically dismissed because there's nothing good that comes from that podunk part of the world. That's, That's the image that we get. So it's unlikely that there was a prophecy circulating that the Messiah would be a Nazarene. However, there was an understanding that the Messiah would come from humble origins and be despised. And from what I gather about Nazareth and Galilee, that kind of fits the bill, doesn't it? People just generally didn't like people from that part of the world. So all of these locations help establish that Jesus was the true Messiah that the Israelites were waiting for. But I think they actually do something more than that. I think that in coming from these different places, from Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth, Jesus was actually connecting to a variety of different people. Jesus didn't come to earth just for God's people. He came for all people. And I think we see that when he goes to Egypt and when he comes out of Egypt and is connected with this foreign country and these foreign people, what Jesus was doing wasn't just for God's people. It was for all people the ministry that he would have would extend beyond the borders of Israel and extend to even us. How many of you have lived somewhere other, I know I've asked this, other than Beersford? Just raise your hand if you've lived somewhere other than Beersford in your life. Okay, raise your hand if you've lived somewhere other than South Dakota in your life. All right, and then raise your hand if you've lived somewhere other than the United States. Has any of those experiences changed you as a person? Does living somewhere else affect you? I know it did for me. When I was in college, I said I studied abroad in Oxford, and that was the first time really being on my own. And it was my first time really being out of the country, apart from it, like 30 minutes in a, in a souvenir shop on 
the opposite side of a lake. So on one side of the lake, it was Minnesota. The other side, it was Ontario, Canada. That was my first international experience. You know, if you're going to do baby steps, that's a good baby step. But my second was move, uh, living in Oxford, England for four months when I was 20, 21. And not only did I live in a foreign country, I also lived in a house with other college students from all around America. And so not only was I learning a new culture in England, even though they speak English, things are very different there. But also I was learning about the different cultures from all around the United States. I had friends from Washington State, from Nashville, from Oklahoma, from Boston, from everywhere. And we know if you've traveled that even though we're all American, we all have kind of different ways of doing things or maybe different words for things or different customs or cultures. What that experience taught me was that there was more than one way to live a life. And that just because I had a certain way of living didn't make my way bad, but it also didn't make my way best because it was mine. And that was kind of the attitude I had before I went to England was growing up in a small town in South Dakota was the best possible life. And the reason I believe that is because that was the life I had. And it wasn't until experiencing other people and realizing, you know what, their way of life is pretty cool too. It doesn't make mine bad, but now I have some other, other experiences and other stories. And I became just more open to people who were different than me. Oftentimes because in England, I was the one that was different. So I think Jesus going to Egypt and, and spending the early parts of his life in Bethlehem and in Egypt were not, these were not his hometowns. These were not the places where he would eventually live. I think set him up for a life of being open to other people, of being open to seeing people as they were, even if they didn't quite worship the same or, you know, Maybe they had purple instead of blue candles at Advent or, you know, whatever it is. You, we see that in Jesus' life. He would go and talk to Samaritans, which the rest of the Israelites just would not do. He would talk to women. He would do all of these things. And I think that part of that came out of this upbringing of, from his, the earliest memories that he has, he was with people who were different. And so I think that part of going to Egypt was to open Jesus up as a person to other people and to people that were not like him. And second, and I think this is the one that's really important, is that Jesus came from Nazareth. And I think because Nazareth wasn't a very important place to be from. Have you heard of that phrase, flyover states? Do you know what I'm talking about? I found this map. Uh, all of the states in the middle that are not red are considered to be flyover states, which means that people from the states that are red think that the only purpose of these states in the middle is to fly over them. Have you heard this before? <laughs> people think South Dakota is a flyover state, which means that they think that we don't have any value and that it's not a place to go, which I think is strange because, hello, we have Mount Rushmore. But anyway, they consider us a flyover state, that, that there's nothing worth seeing here and that the people aren't worth getting to know. Now, we may be a little biased because we know how awesome it is here, right? But for a lot of people, they don't, they don't even care to get to know us. 
They don't care to understand who we are or what we're about. They think, well, who famous comes from South Dakota? Who of world importance comes from South Dakota? You know, why would I care about a place like that? People that matter don't come from places that don't matter. Except that they do. Right? Jesus came from a small town, smaller than the town we are currently in. I mean, what would be a town that is between 200 and 500 people in this area? Irene? It, yeah. Hmm? Hudson? Yeah, Hudson. Jesus comes from a town like that. A town that maybe doesn't even have its own school. Because, you know, what good comes from a town like that? Except that our Savior comes from a town like that. The most important person in history came from a town like that. And I think it matters because God did it on purpose. And what God was saying when God led Mary and Joseph back to Nazareth, rather than having Jesus be raised in the center of it all in Jerusalem, was to say that I care about the people that come from places that don't seem to matter. God is saying, I care about the people in flyover states. I care about the people who come from places that aren't on the map. God loves those of us who get dismissed because how could anything good come from a place like that, right? That's exactly where God chose to be. Jesus was a small town boy with humble beginnings because God meant for him to be that. Because God was saying that our Savior doesn't have to come from somewhere important to be important. And it's the same for us. We don't have to live in the center of things in order to matter. We don't have to have a certain job or a certain pay grade in order to matter to God. We don't have to have the kind of house or access to whatever in order to matter to God. Our Savior was like us like the people sitting here in this room. A little nobody who moved around a lot and who ended up living in a small village for the bulk of his life. So the next time that you question, why do I live here? I grew up, my, my graduating class in Arlington was 18 people. And I remember so many saying that when they graduated, their only goal in life was to get out of Arlington. And they went as far as Brookings, usually. <laughs> but they got out of Arlington because they, didn't, they just couldn't understand, why would I live here? Nothing happens here. What, what good is it? Like, there's nothing going on here. There's nothing important, nothing cool. When you feel like, why am I here? Or why... Why do people dismiss me because I'm from a small town or from a place that they've never heard of? Remember that God sees you here and that God chose out of all of the places in the world to grow up. He chose a small town. He chose a village because he was trying to say that you matter. You don't have to have all of these things in order for God to see you. And... The life that Jesus chose to live was a life that we can understand. Nazareth was an agricultural town. 
Jesus grew up as a tradesman. He was a carpenter. He wasn't blue collar. He wasn't part of the government. He wasn't part of the religious elite. He was a regular person. That's the life he chose to live. And so remember that you have a God who understands your life. He understands when you struggle with being from a small town. He understands when you struggle with not being taken seriously because of where you are or what you do or who you are. Jesus gets that. That's part of the experience that he chose to have. And so I think it's pretty amazing. Not only did God come to earth to experience human life, but he came to experience a life that is an awful lot like the ones that we have here. All of these details, all of these little things that that's, it's so easy to pass over in scripture, like, yep, he went to Egypt, yep, he was born in Bethlehem, went to Nazareth. They seem like insignificant details. But the truth is, is when we dig a little deeper, we find out that these details are important because it tells us of God's love for us and of God's intention of how he chose to live the life that he had on earth. And that is a life that mirrors the life that we have. Only he did it perfectly, which I can't claim. (laughs) Remember, Jesus lived our life. He understands what we go through, and he validates who we are. I think that is pretty amazing. And yet another gift that he gave us at Christmas. Amen?